Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorinda Wilson podcast. I'm really glad you're here with me today. We are going to be talking about taming the tood in our kids. Now I know your kids don't have attitudes. You're just here for the fun of it. So totally theoretical. Uh, No, this doesn't happen at your house, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, how I'm going to be addressing this is I'm going to be addressing a couple of questions that I've received from moms that have to do with their kids' attitudes. And I'm just kind of sharing some things that came to mind as I was thinking about how to answer these questions. And it's just such a commonality amongst every parent that we are all going to run into a certain amount of attitude from our kids. And so the question is, how do we deal with it? Because quite frankly, if homeschooling is going to go well for us, we really do need to um, have a certain amount of order in our home and a certain amount of authority in our home and um, and definitely be you know setting boundaries with our kids because it's just mayhem otherwise. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and about quite a few other things. But before I do that, I want to tell you about my three books. I've got The Unhurried Homeschooler, which is a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling. You can find that on Amazon or my website, DorendaWilson.com. Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart. If you need a devotional, uh, I, this this one might be a really good fit for you. Um, it is really written specifically to homeschool moms, and it's just a compilation of passages that the Lord brought me back to over and over again and showed me some really great things in um, how to apply these scriptures to mothering and homeschooling. So that's called Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart. That is also at my website and on Amazon. And finally, last year in 2021, I published a book with Zondervan called The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life. And this book is based on my 25 years of experience homeschooling our kids and just the fact that it never really took us more than four hours a day, even in high school. Um, and, And the younger ages, way less, way less time. But it's sort of a memoir, but also just um, sharing what I've learned about education. What is it really? And now that our kids have graduated, we've got seven out of our eight graduated. I felt like I could actually speak to that. You know, having seen the results, um, our approach was different. It was unconventional. But uh, I'm finding that a lot of moms are really, it's really resonating with them. And so I would encourage you to check out Uh, the four-hour school day. That is also on Amazon or at my website or at any of your favorite booksellers. The other resource that I want to tell you about um, is a magazine that I absolutely love. You know, if you've decided to homeschool and you listen to this podcast, I'm guessing you have a desire to slow down and enjoy the journey. My friends at Homeschooling Today magazine share our hearts for homeschooling. And you guys, the print version is my favorite because I like to have something in my hands, but it's gorgeous. I even love the way the the pages feel. And when it comes in the mail, you'll you'll just want to get away and savor it. You will find great ideas for teaching that will inspire you, but you'll also feel emboldened to homeschool in a way that helps your kids discover who God created them to be. Isn't that what we really want? And this is one reason that I love writing for them. 
I know that they're passionate about homeschooling and have a deep desire to help you homeschool boldly, to remind you that we're in this together and to help you see past the present trials into the reality of your true calling, equipping your children to be the remarkable people that God created them to be. So I will leave the link to homeschooling today in the uh, show notes. It's homeschoolingtoday.com. I hope you will go check out that magazine. Um, You know, some of you might follow me on social media, and I probably should give you a heads up that I am moving strictly to Instagram. I already have an Instagram account. You might be following me there. If you're following me on Facebook, as of the beginning of March, I am getting off of Facebook. Um, It was a very difficult decision to make because I have 13,000 followers on the author page and 2.6 I guess that's 2,600, right? (laughs) For for those of us who aren't that great at math, right? (laughs) What do those decimals mean again? So uh, uh, 2,600 moms on the Unhurried Homeschooler group in that group. And so I'm hoping that if you're if you're looking for my stuff there, that you will move over to Instagram or just make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast or also subscribe to my email list. I send out a newsletter once a week and um, we also get together once a month on a Zoom call, a live Zoom call where you can at ask questions and um, moms are there to encourage you. I'm there to encourage you. And so I would really uh, love it if you were part of that email list, because then you you could be part of the the meetings as well. And so you just go to dorendawilson.com to sign up for that. Lastly, please, if you can, leave a really quick review. It can just be one sentence. But what happens is if you leave a review for this podcast, um, it it pushes, the more reviews that are there, it pushes, the system pushes it out so that more moms can be encouraged. All right, so let's dive into this whole taming the tood topic, okay? Well, you know, I frequently get questions from moms and recently I received an email with some questions a mom had about her nine-year-old son who is giving her and her husband and quite frankly, her whole family, the younger siblings, a lot of grief. Before I start tackling um, the you know the topic and and answering her questions, I, I want to preface this by saying that I don't know this mom personally, and I don't know her family or the specifics of her situation. In other words, there's a lot that I don't know about this situation, so I'm really just trying to read between the lines and answer based on what could be potentially going on. And also just some of the things that I've heard from other moms who are having similar struggles. So I apologize to this mom if I'm misunderstanding or misinterpreting anything. However, I think her questions and comments reflect some common problems for many families who are trying to raise godly children. It's frustrating when you are doing what you think is right, but it doesn't seem to be making a dent. I do want to encourage every mom who's listening to spend time praying specifically over your own child or children and ask God to give you eyes to see your children the way he does and ask for wisdom for your specific situation. God is so faithful. Um, It's also very important if you're married to talk to your husband and get his perspective um, and his suggestions. He knows your family and you better than I do, and he is the head of your household biblically speaking. So if what I'm saying conflicts with what he thinks you should do, 
please follow his lead. And if you don't agree with him, continue to pray and have a respectful conversation with him about what your concerns are. And I'll just leave that right there. So the first attitude we're going to deal with is just basically a bad attitude overall, just across the board. And here's what this mom has to say. I'm, I'm reading it in little segments and then answering it, answering those segments as I read them to, to just for clarity so it doesn't get confusing. So the first few sentences, a couple of sentences that she shared, we have five kids ranging from two to nine in age. We are a God-fearing family who desires to live for his glory. And of course, we aren't perfect, but we're trying very hard to raise the kids according to biblical principles. Can I just stop there and say, our efforts honor God. You know, God is not requiring perfection out of us as parents. We are not perfect parents, nor will we ever be. It's our job to lean into the Lord and try to walk in full obedience to the best of our ability. But can I just say this? It's also our kids' responsibility to honor and obey imperfect parents. In fact, it's the first commandment that came with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Other translations say that it may go well with you. And I remember reminding my kids of this, this verse in Exodus twenty twelve. I said, you know, the scripture says, if you honor your father and mother, your days will be, you know, things will go well with you. And the opposite is true. If you don't honor your father and mother, it's not going to go well with you. Those are natural consequences. Also, Hebrews 6, 1 says, this is a directive to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, you notice how it says in the Lord. So if you've got a parent who is just maybe not a believer or uh, not living for the Lord and asking their children to do, telling their children to do things that are wrong, there's not an obligation there. If the child's conscience in that particular situation is, you know, it's clear that they're asking them to do something wrong, then it's okay for them to not obey. So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with parents who love the Lord and are really trying to raise their kids for Him. And in that instance, children are to obey their parents in the Lord because this is right, for this is right. I remember back in my teen years, um, I was trying to walk this out when I felt like my parents were being unreasonable. Now, whether they were or weren't, I, I don't even remember what it was that I disagreed with them on. I really felt like they were wrong, and um, and I, you know, and I was right about whatever. And but it wasn't one of those moral issues. It was just you know a difference in opinion, and I just remember, you know, that that verse coming to my mind that I needed to honor my parents. And that meant that even if I didn't think they were right, I needed to honor them as my parents. And boy, that was really tough. Um, because as a teenager, you know, you're really like wanting to spread your wings and gain your independence. And uh, and you feel yourself pulling away from your parents, which is natural. That's normal and natural. But I still had an obligation to honor them as a teenager in their home. And so um, I worked hard to do that. And I just really had this sense of peace that came because I did what God told me to do, even if it felt like my parents were wrong and I was right. And so 
I know from experience that that can happen for our kids too, you know, just, and I would remind my kids of that and tell them this story. And I would say, listen, if you, if you think that we're wrong, obviously not morally wrong, but we're wrong in what we're saying or thinking or decision we're making, you disagree with it. Um, but, you know, you know, as a teenager, sometimes we would, we would allow them obviously to make a respectful appeal because we like to keep a you know, conversation, communication going. Sometimes they have really good ideas that we didn't think of and they think of things that we didn't think of. And so, um, but that was after a childhood of being trained to honor and obey us as, as their parents. Um, I would tell them, you know, if we're wrong, that is on our shoulders. We are responsible for this decision. You are not responsible for this decision. We are. And if it's wrong and there's consequences to that are going to come down the pike, we're going to pay those consequences. It will be on us. So that needs to be real clear. We need to understand we have responsibility as parents, but our children also have a responsibility. All right, so then she went on to say, anyway, our oldest has what I'd call about the worst attitude in history. Now, I'm sure that there are parents out there who are listening who are saying, nope, that that would be my kid. And other parents saying, nope, that'd be my kid. Who knows for sure? But obviously, it's causing them grief. And it's the worst that they've seen in their own children. She said, we try to give him adequate attention and plenty of positive feedback. Now, right there, I feel like she's assuring me that they're not just always writing him all the time. They're trying to encourage him as well. And that's that's wonderful. That is very, very important. Um, encouragement is very important. However, the thing that I would caution against is false praise because false praise will only exacerbate the problem. Kids are smart. They can sense manipulation a mile away. And if he thinks that you're trying to get him to comply by sweet talking him or kind of manipulating him, um, even at other times, um, but not actually setting and keeping boundaries as well um, as, as encouraging him, this will actually provoke him to anger because our kids, they want boundaries. They want to know that things are secure, that their role in the family, their place in the family is secure, and that the parents are consistent. And obviously, none of us are perfectly consistent, but we work hard to stay as consistent as we can. And sometimes that's very inconvenient. Follow through is very, very important. Don't pour out empty threats that you're not actually going to follow through on. You will lose your kids' respect, and you will certainly lose their obedience as well because they'll have no no reason. Because they figure, well, it, you know, sometimes she's consistent, sometimes he isn't, and and you know, so we'll just take our chances. We need to be consistent even when it's inconvenient. That means that if, my, if I'm in the grocery store and one of my children um, is acting out and we've actually talked about this, we know that, and I correct them. I say, no, you, you're not going to act like that in the store. I don't want you doing that. Say they're maybe running around in circles and it's, you know, they could end up running into somebody or causing a problem or knocking things off the shelf and we tell them to stop and they just keep doing it. Um, th- we need to do the hard thing and take them out to the car and deal with them however you see fit to deal with them. I have had to do that. I have not been afraid to leave a cart load of groceries and go out to the car and deal with my child. Um, you know, you do that once and it sticks. Let me tell you, um, when you really stick with that follow through, your kids will test you far less. 
But we want to make sure that, again, when we're encouraging our kids, that we aren't actually using flattery or false praise. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So essentially, when we're giving empty praise, we are lying to our children. And that actually does more harm than it does good. So we need to be careful about how we're doling out praise. Um, Flattery is not biblical, and it's not what God has called us to. Kids want parents that they respect and trust. Um, It sounds to me like this nine-year-old little boy really wants his parents to set boundaries and keep them. In fact, I would go as far to say as he may be begging for it. When our kids act out like that, sometimes it's hard to imagine that they actually want us to put boundaries in place. But that really, really is the case. You know, they want us to, um, this is their way of getting our attention. You know, another thing that came to mind was that sometimes we feel guilty about what we're requiring from a child, especially if they are the oldest. Maybe we're worried we're asking too much of them or that they're somehow being slighted because maybe they have several younger siblings or there are other circumstances that don't allow us to be able to have them involved in very many or any act out, any activities outside the home. But we have to remember that God is sovereign over our families. God knew that this little boy would be the oldest in the family. He was made for that. He needs to be encouraged and corrected to live into that because that is his role in the family. It is also the thing that God is going to use to prepare him for whatever God has for him down the road. And as an adult, understand that our children's birth order, however they came into our family, whether it was foster, adopt, or biological, God is sovereign over that. And we have to trust that because we can't be working from a place of guilt and fear. All right, the next sentence she shares is honestly, she says this, honestly, I'm sure he has gotten part of it from us. His dad and I have struggled in the past, but we have made good strides with the Lord's help. That is wonderful. That is so good to hear. And again, we are not perfect parents. We are on a journey growing closer to the Lord just like anyone else. So we have to be careful that as we grow into more and more obedience to the Lord, we don't allow condemnation to take root because we feel guilty about the past. And if we need to clarify things with our kids, then we should do that. For example, I'm just I'm just going to take a guess, and this may not be true for this, this particular marriage, but it can be true for others. Um, if you had marriage problems before, how did your husband treat you before? How does he treat you now? And vice versa. Is there a difference in how you're treating each other? Is your son following a previous example as opposed to the current example? You know, sometimes when we make changes like that, which are wonderful and godly and exactly what God wants us to do, we have to deal a bit with the fallout. And God gives us the grace to do that. So if that's the case, my suggestion is to have your husband talk to your son about how he treated you before and how he is treating you now. And if it, if it was you and how you treated him, you do the same. And then talk about why that changed. 
What changed in your heart? How did God bring about that change in your attitude, in your marriage, and your and, and bring healing? Because you can put it in kid terms, but he, you know, um, just have a humble heart while at the same time letting your son know that he is not ever allowed to treat you or your husband with disrespect. Now, if this is not the case, it's still a very good idea for your husband to take the lead on this because he is a son. Um, There's something about the relationship between the dad and the son that uh, we sometimes need to hand things off to dad to handle because it just seems to go so much better. It's still a good idea for your husband to take the lead on this and insist on respect and obedience to your son uh, or from your son, by your son to you. Um, My husband was very good about this. He, He did not, you know, if I told him the boys were being disrespectful to me, he would tell them, look, you do not get to do that. If you, if that happens again, there will be consequences. Um... So maybe uh, here's another idea of something that might be happening is maybe he's just really crying out for some digging around in his heart to find out what's going on with him. You know, you could set take him aside in a quiet, calm environment where the other kids aren't around and ask him a series of questions. You know, um, something like, we noticed that you seem to be angry a lot and you're treating your siblings or us with a lot of disrespect. Can you tell us what's going on? Is there something bothering you? When you act like this, uh, like that, how does it make you feel? You know, does it make you feel guilty? Continue to ask questions based on his answers. You may be surprised by his answers. Sometimes things are bothering our kids that we had no idea. So we need to fish around and basically kind of, uh, you know, fish into the deep waters of his heart to find out what's going on. But be patient. He may not be respectful at first. You do need to insist on respect. But, you know, he can, you know, you can be patient and listen while not allowing him to be disrespectful at any point. And if he is, you can just say, that was disrespectful. You need to say that another way. The purpose of that whole scenario is to draw out what's in his heart so that you can pray and respond biblically to it. Now this mom goes on to say, I'm praying with gracious patience that our son will overcome this awful habit, but sometimes it feels hopeless. He gets so angry and says the most hurtful things about his siblings and our family, and he just seems so mean-spirited. He can really pitch quite the fit. It sometimes, it becomes rather overwhelming at times. However, later when everything is going smoothly, he is back to our sweet boy. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I hope this doesn't come across harshly, but it is the truth. The reason that he is back to your sweet boy is because everything is going the way he wants it to go, is going smoothly in his mind. Not, it's not, he's back to your sweet boy for those reasons, not because his heart has actually changed and that the problem has actually been dealt with. Now, we cannot afford to not call sin what it is. It is sin. You think about a tea bag. What brings out all the flavor and all the, you know, all the qualities in a tea bag is hot water, right? Challenging situations simply reveal our hearts. So God is giving you and your husband and your son an opportunity to see what is in your son's heart and to address it. 
but also to see what's in your heart. Are you rising fully to the role that God has called you to as a parent? Are there things that need to be adjusted in order to align better with your biblical role as a parent? We're always learning as parents. I would recommend a book called Parenting by Paul Tripp and maybe listen to the Why Discipline podcast that uh, I did a while back. You can look for that in the search bar on the podcast page of my website. So the deep transforming and redemptive work has to be done by God in our hearts and theirs. You know, this is a journey. We're learning as we go. This is what parenting is. We never go into the parenting journey knowing everything. And we actually never leave the parenting journey knowing everything. Um, Actually, we continue to be parents just our role is different and when our kids are adults, but the whole training and teaching piece of it, um, it's just, you know, it's something that we're constantly um, learning and praying and asking for wisdom along the way because everything's changing all the time. Circumstances, our kids are growing and developing and, you know, there's just a lot of variables in the equation. So we really need that wisdom from God. Okay, so... Again, the deep transforming and redemptive work has to be done by God. But in the meantime, we are responsible. We are responsible to correct and give consequences. By doing this, we are training up our children in the way that they should go. Now, next week, I'm going to be talking about child training and really diving into that topic more. So I hope you'll join me for that. But one of the things that I have found is that natural consequences tend to be the best way to handle um, infractions. And um, I'll be sharing a story with you in just a little bit, but um, kind of what that looks like. But we want to be sure that we are doing our part um, as the parents. Because here's, here um, here's the bottom line. The enemy wants nothing more than to discourage parents and keep them from raising a godly generation. Don't let him do it. Don't let him get a foothold. Fight for your family on your knees and with the word of God, and then follow through on what God shows you. And then she said, I'm I'm just repeating a, a, a part of what she said again. I'm praying with gracious patience that our son will overcome this awful habit but sometimes it feels hopeless. Now, I'm just going to say we don't outgrow sin. It doesn't just go away. It's just we don't, you know, outgrow sin. The awful habit or sin that is being committed cannot be overcome without your help as the parent. Sin has to be dealt with. It doesn't just go away. It has to be dealt with consistently and ruthlessly. Now, that doesn't mean that we show no grace or mercy to our children, but we confront the issues with prayer and the truth of God's word. We don't sweep them under the rug. We don't look the other way. We need a remedy for our sin and God's word has the remedy. I highly recommend the book of Proverbs to find out the difference between childishness and foolishness. And I'll be talking about that in just a minute. But we need a remedy for our sin and God's word has the remedy. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out 
only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. That's just one scripture of many in the New Testament that talk about how we as believers are are supposed to treat each other. They also translate beautifully into sibling relationships and family relationships because, you know, isn't God's family, isn't God's church a family, right? It's So the same thing applies at home with our families. And she went on to say he gets so angry and says the most hurtful things about his siblings and our family, and he just seems so mean-spirited. He can really pitch quite the fit. It becomes rather overwhelming at times. Can I just say this? We cannot be afraid of our own children. If you find yourself afraid of your own children, something has gone awry. The question is, are they training us or are we training them? Is this little boy being allowed to run the household by keeping everyone fearful of his outbursts and of his mean spirit? Can I ask this? What will this look like in three years? Three years when he's 12 and in five years when he's 14 and in 10 years when he's 19. Parents, we've got to have a firm grasp on the authority that God has given us as parents and to walk fully in this role. And what helped me step up to the plate on that was thinking about a child's behavior and wondering, is it really that bad? Is it worth dealing with? And then I would think, well, what's that going to look like in three years, five years, 10 years? Oh, nope, we're going to deal with this. (laughs) But we need to have a firm grasp on that authority that God has given to us as parents and to walk fully in this role. This means that we aren't punishing our kids. What we're doing is directive and corrective. It's not punitive. So we're not punishing them, but we are allowing them to feel consequences for what for their sin and for their their poor choices because we're trying to teach them how to make wise choices. We want them to grow in wisdom. Um, But we're doing this all, uh, it's directively with the goal of always bringing our kids to the cross. Our kids need a savior. And we can use these kinds of opportunities to gently help them see their need for a savior. And can I just say this? I, I know this is about the fourth time I've said it, but my goodness, do not allow your children to speak to each other or you in a way that you would not let them um, treat someone else or speak to someone else. When our kids would you know, be snarky with each other, I would look at them and say, would you ever treat your friend so-and-so like that? You know, I would say, would you ever treat your friend Nate like that? Would you ever say that to him? And they would look at me and they would say, no, I wouldn't. Then don't speak that way to your brother or sister. First Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, another great uh, passage on how we're to treat each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those, are la- those who are lazy. That's out of love for the other person because you know it isn't good for them. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Words matter. What we say to each other and what we allow our kids to say to each other, it matters. Those words are evidence of what's in our hearts. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, 
And Luke 6, 45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what's inside. We have to be honest about that. We still have a flesh we're dealing with. Our kids have a flesh that they're dealing with, and we need to acknowledge that and deal with it. But God uses these kinds of situations to give us insight into our kids' hearts. What a grace and a blessing to be able to address these issues before our children grow up so we don't raise children into adults who are broken and unable to have healthy relationships and um, just aren't functioning well. We get to take these kids from the beginning and and we get to address these issues before they grow up. You know, and when I read that scripture about the words life and death and the power of the tongue, that that's for us too, parents. You know, we need to be careful how how we're speaking to our children as well. We are modeling it. We are setting an example. And we're really all guilty when it comes to that those scriptures. So um, don't think that your child is a hopeless case. Um, what you're hearing is just clear evidence of something that needs to be addressed. And God is merciful. He's being merciful and allowing you to see it. It's not an obstacle. It's not a failure. It's a call to action. You know, if our kids never misbehaved, we would never have the opportunity to do what God has called us to do. And that is to teach and correct and train and discipline. And then she's had this to say, I was just wondering if this is remotely normal or if you have ever dealt with this firsthand and what tips do you have? I said, well, uh, my response is we don't normalize sin, obviously, but it's true. We can recognize that certain things may be more of a struggle at certain ages or, um, you know, at certain developmental stages, but it's still our job as parents to correct and discipline. So we are training our children toward righteousness. Don't let the enemy get a foothold in making you think there's something wrong with your child because he is exhibiting his sinful nature. That's what children do. And again, that's a grace for you as a parent to be able to address it before it's too late. And we get lots of opportunities to do that. So if you haven't done well up to this point, it is never too late to get started. Then this mom went on to say, I've racked my brain and I don't really feel comfortable with outside counseling. Would that even be necessary? She's sounding a little doubtful that maybe it would be. And then she said uh, she's not comfortable with extracurricular activities with having lots of little ones right now. I think she's thinking that might help the situation. She said, we're just so used to getting by and doing our own thing since we don't have a very good extended family support system. Been there, done that. Um, she said they don't have the same mindset nor share the same values, which makes everything worse. That is true. You don't want your children spending copious amounts of time with people like that because they're going to be impacting and influencing your children. But can I also say this job can be done without good extended family support system. It can be done. Uh, my husband and I, I, we learned real quickly that leaning into each other, into the Lord, and then just periodically reaching out to people we knew that we trusted and respected for some input and some counsel, just like you're doing here, that you're not going to miss out on anything because you 
don't have good extended family support system. Again, God is sovereign over this situation, and He is um, He's doing something great in it. So, um, in terms of extracurricular activities, that kind of thing, I would say that trying to placate your son with better circumstances. In other words, you're putting off the inevitable by just putting him, trying to put him in better circumstances. It doesn't actually deal with his heart. If outside activities are something that's needed um, and it's something that, you know, God eventually opens the door to, you can cross that bridge later. But for the time being, the priority is retraining your son. And it sounds like um, a bunch of activities is not what's best for your family as a whole at this during this season. And you get to make that decision, not your son, okay? We had to make the same decision. We had six children, nine and under, and I tried a co-op, a homeschool co-op, and it just didn't work because so many of our kids were young and needed naps and just needed regular routine and simplicity at home. We had to pull out and say, that's just not a good fit for us right now, and that's okay, um, so what you don't want to do is muddy the waters through distraction. Oh, gee, if we just get him in this activity or that this activity, he'll be happier. You want to actually deal with what God is calling you to deal with. And at this stage of the game, you are still starting young. And this is why I encourage parents, start with that discipline early on. Don't, don't wait. A lot of people do this thing where they kind of just let their kids go in the early years because they can sort of manhandle them and, and rein them in. And then when they get into the teen years, all of a sudden that's when they try to bring down the hammer and set the boundaries. And by then it's too late. The child is trained to not have those boundaries. So we want to start as early as possible. And I'll be talking about what some of that looks like in the next podcast. Now, real quickly, just one last other type of attitude. It's an I don't care or flippant attitude. Um, so this mom is having trouble with her kids goofing off while eating meals, in the um, goofing off in the morning, not being ready for breakfast in time, goofing off while cleaning the kitchen after dinner. And she said she listened to my podcast, um, my discipline podcast again, and, and said she's thinking that they need to do a boot camp day. Go back and listen to that podcast if you want to understand what that means. Um, and she wanted to know, maybe I could throw some consequences, ideas out there. She says she runs out of ideas and they eventually don't care about the consequences anymore. Um, okay, so and basically teaching that there are times to have fun and goof, and goof off and there are times to work diligently. So I hear exactly what you're saying. We had the same issues in our house. And um, I actually made sure that I had a list of consequences ready all the time, even if it was jotted down on a piece of paper in my day planner. So when it happened, I just flipped back there and I picked an appropriate one for that particular scenario, reminding myself that natural consequences are actually a really great, um, they're really the best way to teach our kids. And what I mean by that is, oh, uh, let me see here if I can, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So I want to share, uh, okay, you want to, if you make that list, you, you also want to make sure that you are finding the currency of that particular child. So I, I we had the goofing off child and um, my husband pointed this out. He said, the, the, let the goofing off be a snare to himself um, because a goof off person wants an audience. So here's an example of how I handled the goof off person. 
and that was Sam. And he would, to this day, fully admit it. He's 21 now and amazing, amazing young man. But oh my goodness, the grief that kid gave me. He liked to goof off so much. So we would be out in the garden. All of us were working hard. And I kept, I'd glance over and he wasn't working. And I would tell him, Sam, get back to work. Well, he'd get back to work and we'd get busy. And I'd look over and he wasn't working again. So I stopped warning him. I stopped telling him anything. And I just basically said, okay, I just told myself exactly what I was going to do. I had a plan of action. And this is where the pause button works really well. They think they're getting by with it, but while they're getting by with it, you're formulating a plan. So when it was time to go in, I said, all right, you guys, you have worked hard enough. Let's go on in and get some, you know, something cold to drink and a snack or whatever. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, and I looked at him and I said, oh, except for you, you're going to stay out here and do the work that you weren't doing when everybody else was working. And so I would have him stay out there and I would peek on him periodically to make sure he was working until I felt that he had been out there for an adequate amount of time. All of a sudden, goofing off wasn't worth it anymore. And he told me the other day that that was one of the main lessons that he learned that he carries with him every day as he is an apprentice plumber. And he looks at his jobs and he's like, well, if we don't just keep working, um, we're, we're, this, this job isn't going to get done. We're not going to go home until it's done. And so he has that whole attitude emblazoned in him after repetition, repetition, repetition. And that's one thing that I will warn you about. You know, sometimes you have to, obviously there needs to be consequences, but you're going to be correcting and disciplining and training your children um, re- repeatedly They're, you know, until they're adults, um, hopefully less as they get to be teenagers, but it's, it's just part of our job. And so thinking that we're ever going to get out of it or it's just going to be over what, anytime that they're at home, just get that out of your head. So finding their currency is really, really important. And I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about the difference between childishness and foolishness. So if you're at the table and um, a child is, you know, just kind of having fun or whatever and accidentally spills a glass of milk, that is childishness. Now, if you've got a child who you have warned, stop messing around, you're going to spill something, you need to settle down or whatever, and they don't do it, and then they spill the glass of milk, that is foolishness because they have disobeyed and consequently done this foolish thing where the other situation was just childishness. Children will do childish things. And so just knowing the difference in Proverbs is a wonderful place to find that. Proverbs uh, 10, 23, I love this verse because it has everything to do with this flippant attitude that this mom is talking about. Um, A flippant attitude is no different than a rebellious attitude. Um, in terms of the the child is still not obeying and honoring their parents. They're doing it in a fun way, maybe less obnoxious. But Proverbs 10, 23 says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So man tends to look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart for Samuel 16, 7. We need to ask God to give us eyes to see our children's hearts the way he does. We don't know everything about our children's hearts, only he does. So again, we pray for wisdom and we watch for opportunities where God is working in our kids' lives and then engage the way he tells us to. In other words, we're looking for where God is working and joining him. So as we're going through our day, 
A lot of times, you know, we would just be doing our thing and all of a sudden these kids, they are not, they won't quit fighting. Okay. They won't settle down when I tell them to. Okay. Right there, God is doing something. God is calling me to parent them. God is calling me to do something there. And because he's brought it to my attention. And so then I pray, I ask for wisdom and I deal with it accordingly. Basically, we are shepherding our kids' hearts. And I love the whole idea that Jesus shepherds our hearts as we shepherd our children's hearts. Psalm 139, one and two says, "'O Lord, you have searched me and known me. "'You know when I sit down and when I rise up. "'You discern my thoughts from afar.'" So parents, by training and teaching our kids what God thinks about everything, we are giving them a biblical worldview and helping them get to know who God is so that they can learn to hear his voice when he speaks to them. So whatever situation they are in throughout their lives, they stop and ask, how would God want me to respond to this? And they'll know the answer because they know their God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of raising children, raising up a godly generation. Lord, I ask that you would empower every parent, strengthen every parent, encourage every parent who's listening right now. And I ask that you would give them the wisdom and discernment and the fortitude and the perseverance that they need to walk fully in their biblical role as parents. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to do this. Thank you for the opportunity to learn right alongside of our kids. Thank you that you promise to give us wisdom when we ask for it, as long as we're trusting that you're going to give it to us, Lord. And so we are saying, yes, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 